please take a seat. If you have your Bibles with you, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 17. Colossians 3, 1 to 17. And that's page 1184 in your pew Bibles. Or you can look at the screen behind me. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is adultery. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another in any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray for Clive as he brings God's word. Father, um, we thank you for what you've been doing in in, in Clive's heart um, this week. And and pray simply that this won't be um, a performance up the front, but that you will give him the words to say and you will open our hearts to hear what it is he has to say this morning. That this will be not um, a speech, but an experience in which we hear from the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I, uh, I want to tell you a story about a, a little boy, a five-year-old boy who had been out for uh, a walk with his young sister, um, had a much older brother who was still at home. Home was a, a hotel and a pub, a very busy hotel and a busy pub. And uh, this little boy had gone out with his nana, his grandmother, uh, his father's mother. And when he came back, he could hear, he knew his mother's voice, he could hear his mother sobbing, heartbroken. And he wanted to get to her. But there were staff of the hotel and barmen that, that wouldn't because she was so distraught. And he came to know when eventually they, they would let him get to his mother along with his sister. The, the mother concerned 
when the little boy said, why, why are you crying, mummy? What, what's wrong? Why are you so upset? She said, Jesus has taken daddy to be with him. Daddy had been celebrating his birthday the night before, just 45 years old, and that morning, Daddy had sat on the edge of the bed, this ex-army officer, officer and a gentleman, now a businessman, running a good hotel, and um, he'd celebrated his party, no doubt, too well, and uh, along with his wife, and she said, would you like a cup of tea? And she went to make that cup of tea, and when she came back, he was laying on the bed dead. That was my father. I was five years old. And he was a brave man. And I'm really grateful to Alan McCulloch, who through his contacts in the military got these medals mounted, which I have the right to wear, not on that side, but on this side. But I just couldn't bring myself to wear them. So I honour the memory of my dad and I hold them up. Okay? But I couldn't bring myself to wear them because I haven't earned them. I can still honour him, but I haven't earned them the way he did. And there's a link here between a story of two great movies and a great book with my dad and his medals, because one of those medals is a Burma star. And the story's not about my own father, therefore, but about Captain Ernest Gordon, who was a Scotsman, and he was a Scottish company commander with the Argyll and Sutherland Highlanders, and he fought in the Battle of Singapore and other battles in World War II, but then he was captured, and he suffered brutal conditions in a cruel Japanese prisoner of war camp, working on the same infamous railway which my own father laboured on when he was in a prisoner of war camp. There's the link. My father was taller than me, broader than me, and when he came out of that prisoner of war camp, he weighed seven stone. I weigh, trust me, weigh more than that now. Double that and more. And Ernest discovered a sense of self and spirituality while he was a prisoner in one of those dreadful camps. He was one of those soldiers who helped build what we know as the Bridge on the River Kwai, which was depicted in a very famous movie called The Bridge Over the River Kwai, which starred an actor called Alec Guinness, who's now dead. As history shows, the death rate in that camp was incredibly high. Ernest underwent torturous events that led to his being placed in the death ward. When you got there, you didn't come out. There was no medicine, just volunteer prisoners that helped. And that's what was designated for those who weren't expected to survive. He was treated there by two very special soldiers, only in their late 20s, young men. One was a Methodist named Dusty Miller, who was a simple gardener from Newcastle upon time. And the other was Dinty Moore, a devout Catholic. And the two gave 24-hour care to Ernest. They boiled up the filthy rags and they cleansed him and massaged his diseased legs every single day. And because of that care and concern, by some kind of miracle, and no doubt through their prayers, amazingly, Ernest survived. And consequently, many of the prisoners of war experienced a revival, for some a revival of faith, but for all of them a revival of hope for life, that they could get through it. Quite amazing. Ernest was an agnostic, and still was at that time, but he was deeply impacted by dusty simplicity and firm Christian faith in the face of such severe treatment at the hands of their captors. Dusty's faith never failed him, and he never met the cruel treatment that was dished out to him with anger and wrath. He never responded that way. 
In the 2001 film To End All Wars, which I know some of you will have seen, film starring Robert Carlyle, that was a, a film based on Ernest Gordon's book entitled Through the Valley of the Kwai. And in one scene, the film depicts something that actually happened that Ernest experienced and all those in the camp. Those cruelly abused men were lined up and, and a, a kind of a truck full of Japanese soldiers, bloodied and beaten and shamed at the result of the Allied advance that they were fleeing, came into camp. And because of the Bushido code, that kind of samurai code, they were treated with contempt by their own. Not one Japanese officer or soldier stepped forward to help them or tend them or offer them water or care. And yet Dusty and others did. The very race that had brutalised them, they stepped forward and they made a difference to these men who their own countrymen were regarding as cowards and failures. Ernest survived the war. And upon uh, liberation, he discovered that just two weeks before the war ended, Dusty had been crucified by a Japanese guard. Crucified him because he was so frustrated with Dusty's sense of calm, we might say shalom, in the face of such hardship. You see, Dusty was transformed by Christ, and he transformed Ernest's life by his witness, and he transformed the life, at least for a moment, of those Japanese wounded soldiers, and he transformed the whole camp, because along with his Catholic friend, they stood for something different. Ernest, you'll be delighted to know, eventually moved to America, where he became the dean of the chapel at Princeton University, a devout minister of the gospel. He died in 2002, about a year after the film, based on his book, was released. But this is an amazing story of transformation. And as we move on in this series in Colossians, looking at Paul and his writing, inspired by the Spirit of God to these Colossian Christians, we come to message five, transformed by Christ. And we see that what has gone before, in a sense, and Steve Brady, my friend from Moorlands, the principal there, was magnificent in depicting this last week. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the incomparable Christ, the supreme one, who is the very image of the invisible God. But now Paul moves on to the kind of so what stuff. What is the impact and outworking of who Jesus is and the fact that he lives in your heart if you're a Christian? Well, that we should be transformed by Christ. That's what the scriptures from chapter 3 verses 1 to 17 say. Paul moves on from what we believe and who we have trusted in to how we live. And in my version, an older, an older version of the New International Version, the heading here that's not in the Greek says it's about rules for holy living. I'm glad they changed it. In the more recent version it says, living as those made alive in Christ. Because this isn't a set of prescriptive rules, this is a set of descriptive things about you and me and dusty and earnest when Christ has entered your life. Are you with me? It's descriptive. So if we consider that, well then before we get to the verses I'm going to concentrate on, let, let's look at the first four verses again. You'll see there's a sense here of a new direction and a new purpose for those Colossian Christians and for all of us who want to own the name of Jesus today, there's a new direction and a new purpose. Listen to verses 1 to 4 as I read them again. Paul says to these Colossians, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Wow! Just grab the person next to you. Not if you don't know them, don't grab them. But if you know them, grab them and say, wow, you're going to appear in glory with Jesus. Go and do it. Because what we've just read about this new life, this new focus, and this new future is that if you are a Christian today, and if you're not, you can come to him today. But if you are a Christian today, born of the Spirit of God, you are raised with Christ who's resurrected. You have your heart set on things above. Your life is hidden in a sense with Christ, and your life will appear with him in glory. Isn't that wonderful? So let's not, do you want to stay the way you are? Because I don't, I want to be different. My wife really wants me to be different. (laughs) Anyone else out there want to be different? Do you want to be better next year than you are this year? Do you want to be more like Jesus next year than you are this year? Me too. Do you know Albert Einstein, and and he was a man who believed in God. That amazing, world-renowned, now dead and departed great scientist. He said this about insanity. This is how he defined it. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You're not going to get transformed. I'm not going to get transformed if I stay on the treadmill that this world and my sinful nature would put me on. No way. I need to be being transformed by the power of Jesus Christ in me. Because this is a new way of living through our renewed and transformed lives. Our renewed and transformed self enables us to live this way. This isn't just a bunch of rules. This is what Jesus living in you does for you and does to you. Listen to verses 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore. This is pretty strict stuff, isn't it? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You know, when we look at others and we judge them because of their sexual immorality, or any other purpose, when we look at others, we need to ask if there's any evil desires or lust or greed, which is idolatry, even greed in us. I confess, I like my food way too much. Okay? Put the old ways to death, says verse 5. Let me just read on in these verses. Because of these things, these evil things that grip us, the wrath of God's coming, you used to walk in these ways. So he's acknowledging they've turned their backs on sexual immorality. They've turned their backs on lust and greed and impurity. They're trying to live this transformed life and they're living it in the power of Christ. He says, you used to walk in it. In the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You know, that Japanese guard that crucified Dusty, crucified him because in his rage he hated that Dusty wouldn't enter into rage in response to his dreadful treatment of him. So Dusty is transformed and becomes transformational. Verse 9, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on your new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Do you remember what Steve said last week? Verse 9 of chapter 2, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 
Wow. Verse 10, being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, according to Ephesians 2.10. Better translation, you are God's masterpiece. God does not make junk. At least three people were prayed for, for whom that word of knowledge, that revelation through the Spirit came to them like a shaft of light from God who wanted to lift their heads today. And you know what? We're a new community as we put the old ways to death and leave the old life, verse 7, behind. And we understand more, verses 8 and 9, about the old self and the new self being renewed, verse 10, in the image of its creator. We're a new community. Listen to verse 11. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. As I look at you in this room today, there's not Brit or African or Italian or Romanian or Indian or Jamaican. There's just the family of God, a new community. There's neither male nor female in that sense of it being divisive. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. Even people from Devon and Cornwall or Yorkshire and Lancashire can get on together. Hallelujah! Whichever way you crimp your pasties or put your jam and your, your cream on the scone, you can be one in Christ Jesus. That's just because we have refugees that come over the Tamar Bridge every week from Cornwall. But I wouldn't want to embarrass Steve and Rachel Carey at all by letting you know that. You see, this new community is a transformed community. Transformed how? Well, let's get into the text beyond the ones I've read because there's a lot of material to cover here. We're transformed to live how? To live as a chosen people. To live as a well-dressed people and not just because I'm wearing my best suit today either. I'll explain that to you. We're transformed to live as forgiving people and we're transformed to live above all as loving people. You see, we're transformed to live as a chosen people who are, we, 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 we work this out in week one, saints. You are called saints if you're a Christian. Because that means you are set apart as holy and set apart as holy for a holy and a sacred purpose. You have a holy purpose. You're a chosen people, chosen by God for a purpose. And it tells us in verse 12, you are holy and dearly loved. You're not pawns on a chessboard for God. You are dearly loved children, brothers and sisters of the living God, with a heavenly Father. And the Son wanted to lift your head this morning. And we're well-dressed people, because verse 12 tells us, tells us what to, we're to clothe ourselves with. Not the best shoes, the best suit, shirt and tie, and that's just the women. But no, the, the Lord wants us to clothe ourselves, whether we wear dresses or suits, with, listen to this, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Let me ask you, how are you doing this week on those? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. That's what we've got to clothe ourselves with. And you know, sometimes this week, I guarantee it, there are people here who weren't treated that way by others. You didn't get compassion. You didn't get kindness. You didn't get gentleness. Someone, perhaps some of those who came forward, someone said harsh and cutting words to you. 
but we're still called to clothe ourselves with those things. But we're called also as forgiving people, not just chosen people who are well-dressed people, but forgiving people, bearing with each other, verse 13, and forgiving as, as Christ Jesus the Lord forgave us. Anyone wrestling with forgiveness? Is there anyone here that's saying, Clive, I can never forgive that. Don't ask me to forgive him. Don't ask me to forgive her. Well, I'm not, but the Lord is. Because if they've never repented of what they did to you, or maybe they're dead now and they can't, and they can't put right what they did to you, they will face this God of love one day, who is a God that hates what they did or said to you. So you need to release them to him by forgiving them. And if you're struggling, I get that. Trust me. Trust me. I get that one. So here's a prayer that I learned to pray before I even wanted to forgive. It's, Father, help me to want to forgive. Give me the power to want to forgive. Because as forgiving people transform to live this way, we're called supremely, and this is a bottom line, as loving people. Because it says, put on love in verse 14. Over all of these qualities, when you're bearing with each other and forgiving each other, put on love over all those other virtues which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's like putting on a, a great big overcoat over all the other clothes you've put on. Put on love over all of that. Not your love, the love of Jesus which will strengthen you. Because when people who just wanted to kill Jesus, they wanted him crucified, just like that Japanese guard wanted Dusty crucified. They tested him because they hated him, because he'd silenced already the Sadducees. And hearing that, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. You know the question well. It's in Matthew 22, and it's in verse 36. Teacher, says this Pharisee, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And if you know it, even in part, join in with me. Jesus replies, here we go, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says, this is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And the parable he tells about what type of neighbor do we have to love is a Samaritan that the Jews hated. They hated them. There's racial prejudice, dreadful bias against them, and Samaritan against Jew. So just think of the person you would struggle to love the most now, and yes, Jesus wants you to love them. And then it says this, and we often stop, sadly, at verse 39, but verse 40 of Matthew 22 says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let me tell you this, there's no conflict between law and love, not in Jesus. He embodies law and love. Absolutely. He came from the Father full of grace and truth. Not 50% grace and 50% truth, but 100% truth and 100% grace. He loved even those like Judas who would betray him. On the cross he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Oh, he challenged them with sharp words because they misunderstood the law and that the heart of the law were these commandments of love. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. 
I don't know what the coaches said to the rugby teams in the last moments, or the captains said to the rugby teams in the last moments before those rugby internationals yesterday, but I know that they saved their most significant comments to just before the conflict. And just before his arrest and brutalisation, betrayal, quang over trial and death by crucifixion, Jesus has this on the night of the Last Supper and his arrest to say to his disciples. John 15 from verse 9. As a father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I'll pause there. You know, the Japanese guards could not rob Dusty of his joy. They could not rob Dusty of his peace because his joy and his peace wasn't in how much food he got or the quality of the accommodation or the brutalization that he was experiencing or not. His joy and his strength and his shalom, his peace, was in Jesus Christ. As an ordinary Methodist gardener from Newcastle upon time, they could not rob Dusty of his freedom however long they kept him in that prison. Jesus went on to say, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And on Remembrance Day, this verse, this next verse is used so often. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. See, if my dear beloved dad, who I didn't know, I only knew about him because I was five when he died. But if he hadn't got those medals, including his Burma star, that I might not have had the freedom here today to speak in this way because National Socialism, which would have exterminated the whole Jewish race and held us all in captive, would have held me in captive. So like another pastor called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you get hung if you disagree with the state. Are you with me? Now we need to be praying for our enemies today and we need, if you're here from Germany, God bless you and thank God that at recent remembrance services last year on significant anniversaries, Germans and English stood together with French. The first person that I met when I went to Bible college at Morelands, Sopley, little village near Christchurch in Dorset, was a Japanese man called Hiroyuki Yamagata. My mother never taught me to hate, she never taught me prejudice, but because she'd seen so much suffering when the man she loved went through that and came home weighing seven stone, let's say she didn't have a positive view of Japanese people. So in the province of God, when the first person I met at college and talked to was my still Facebook friend, Hiroyuki Yamagata, and he told me that he believed that God was calling me to go to Japan as a missionary. By the way, he told every single person in the Bible college (laughs) that they were going to Japan as a missionary. God did some deep work of reconciliation between me and probably the first Japanese person I'd ever met. Are you with me? Because transformation by Christ transforms you to be an agent of transformation. Let me tell you one story of Hiroyuki. Hiroyuki was on a 23-church mission in Scarborough, my hometown. I put a word in, and the whole student and staff body went up to Scarborough, and we we marched through the streets, and 23 churches were involved, and there were schools teams and street teams, and we went to pray with the Lord Mayor, and the the principal didn't know me well and and did a very ambitious thing. He said, Clive, would you just pray a nice little prayer for the 
for the mayor of the town when we had a mayoral reception. So you know me well, if I went up to the mayor, not a Christian, slapped hands on his shoulders and stormed heaven for ten minutes for him and his dear wife was there, the chain on his chest was trembling as I prayed with it. And when I opened my eyes at the end of that to see the principal going, oh, and the student body going, go on, Clive. The mayor had tears in his eyes because Jesus touched him as I prayed for him in the name of Jesus and honoured him as the mayor of that town. You see, those of us who get transformed by Christ can become agents of transformation. So we've looked at transformed in terms to live how. We need to look at being transformed in what way? Well, verses 15 to 17, I'm going to read it, but I'm going to give you the points in advance. We're transformed in what way? We're transformed by being peace-filled. We're transformed by being thankful. We're transformed by being bibline. What does that mean? I'll tell you when we get there. We're transformed by being honest with each other. And we're transformed by being true worshippers of God. And we're transformed supremely by following Jesus Christ and living as he lived in the power of the Spirit of Christ who lives in us. That's how we're transformed. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Listen to verses 15 to 17. As we go back to Colossians chapter 3, Paul says to these Christians in Colossae, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and songs in the Spirit, spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Being peace-filled as members of one body, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now, I know this has never happened at Mutley, but maybe some of you have been in other churches. I, I suppose no one has really experienced this, but sometimes in some churches I've heard stories that someone gets up and speaks as a Christian in such an unloving, aggressive, ungodly way that it breaks the spirit and heart of the meeting and breaks the heart of someone else who then feels the need to jump up on their feet and speak in the same ungodly, wrathful, aggressive, angry way and it spirals down. Now, I know it's a horrible picture which no one here has ever experienced. So let's not. As I was telling the elders, and thank God for every single one of our elders, but as I was saying to them this week, we're elders when we're in an elders meeting, we're elders when we're in a members meeting, we're elders when we're in a, a worship meeting, we're elders when we're in a small group, we're elders when we're in the workplace, and we're elders when we're in the recreational club. In 1 Timothy 3, the calling upon leaders of the church is a calling that every Christian should be, but what every leader must be, by the grace of God. Irenic peacemakers, standing up for truth with the same grace and love that Jesus stood up for truth. So where those who are letting the peace of Christ rule, where those who are being thankful, I've given Rosk a task at the first service, and if anyone from Gen X, Y or Z, any millennial wants to come up with a with a modern version of this, here's a phrase that has passed out of Christian use too easily. Count your blessings. We need a Gen Z version of that, so Ross is going to come up with it by next Sunday. That's the good news. 
Who knows what count your blessings means? Just means be thankful. Thank God for the good stuff, because when the bad stuff's coming at you, remind yourself that God does the good stuff and God never leaves you and God never forsakes you. Be thankful. Be bibline. Allow the Word of God through meditation and Bible reading and Bible study against a backdrop where the Western church is becoming biblically illiterate. Learn this love letter from God. Read this love letter from God. Meditate upon it. Pray over it. Read it every single day. And then the truth of it will transform your heart and mind as you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I receive that challenge myself. Then you'll become bibline. It's as if the Word of God is running through the veins of your body. It's as if you were like a stick of rock from Scarborough that says Scarborough all the way through it. When you cut across it, we've used the analogy before, when your life is cut, what is in it is the Word of God dwelling deeply and richly in you. The name of Jesus and the transforming power of Jesus in your life. And let's be worshippers. Let's be honest with each other, admonishing each other, but with love and wisdom and gentleness. You know, when you admonish someone, it should be with love and wisdom and gentleness. It shouldn't be, I've come to tell you the truth in love, dear friend. Ever had that one? I'm only telling you because it's for your own good, because I love you. And then you see the daggers that are coming out of the person's eyes admonishing with wisdom and love and being worshippers now thank god that we're in a church we have three completely different expressions of worship at nine o'clock at ten thirty, and at six thirty. and i love them all they're all wonderful they're different in the way we express it but thank god we don't have wars in this church over whether we sing psalms or hymns or spiritual songs or whether it's the organ or the keyboard or the drums and the guitar aren't you glad we don't fight over that at least we'd better not on my watch. Because worship wars are terrible. Do you know the difference between a terrorist and a church organist in some contexts? You can negotiate with a terrorist. Lord, forgive me for all those church organists who I love and I've now offended. Some people have gone to the wall over those kind of battles. But it's ultimately about being Christ followers, doing it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 17. It's about whole life discipleship, and I need to finish now. So I wonder if you'd stand with me. Just stand with me. And I'm going to ask our musicians and singers to come back. We have been reading about how we are transformed by Christ, not as just prescriptive, but as descriptive of what happens when you let the Holy Spirit of God fill you and sanctify you day by day. That's what we've been saying about. But here is the, I hope you've already taken some things away, but here's the biggest takeaway of all. If you and I have been transformed by God, remember that we're set apart for a holy purpose, then this is what God wants from us. He wants his son Jesus to be honoured and glorified by us as the spirit of Jesus lives in us. But he wants you to be like Dusty in that prisoner of war camp. He wants you and me to be agents of transformation. Because as far as I'm aware, there's a city, and I love this city already, there's a city that needs transforming. There's a nation and the United Kingdom that needs transforming. 
There are nations in the world that needs transforming. And as Jesus transforms me, he calls me and you to be agents of transformation. Who's up for this? I bless you for those of you who feed the hungry. I bless you for those of you who go out on the streets as street pastors. I bless you for those of you who foster children, for those of you who who work with our children and our young people. I bless you for those of you who support cross-cultural mission, who've been on cross-cultural mission, and who give to cross-cultural mission. I thank you for the myriad of ways that you, in which you serve, whether it's through salt or Shekinah or any other way. But God has called us for a purpose, and it's for, that we would be agents of transformation. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you not only for my own dear father, whose memory I honour. But I want to thank you for Dusty, who had the same kind of horrific experience that my father experienced, but wasn't broken by it, Father. Yes, he was crucified, but a day will come when Dusty, who is in your presence now, when Dusty himself will be physically resurrected, because Jesus was resurrected, and that guaranteed Dusty's resurrection. Father, whatever this world throws at us, help us through honouring the royal law of love to be agents of transformation, even as we are being transformed. We ask it in Jesus' name, and we ask it for the glory of Christ. Amen.